This is Danielle Houston. I'm with Propel Insurance. This is the Monday meetup. We've been hosting these little pop-up style Zoom meetings to talk about new information as it relates to the CARES Act and FFCRA. And there is so many layers there that we could that we could pull back. And I cannot be an expert in all of them while so many of these things overlap into employee benefits. They definitely get into areas of law and payroll that I am not at all versed in and, and I would never want to lead anyone astray, but we know experts. And Stephen Fawcett is joining us again today. And after you've joined one time, we don't have big formal introductions anymore, <laughs> Stephen, because now you're just official and everyone knows you and uh, you're officially like a co-host. You can yeah, come back whenever I'm you want after the first time. The show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So welcome back. Thank you. And uh, you're our resident expert for payroll tax credits and emergency leave and sick leave. So one of the things that we talked about too, we don't expect that the content around payroll tax credits will necessarily take a big chunk of time. So if you guys have other questions that have come up around some of these other areas, feel free to send them through chat um, or, uh, yeah, let's, let's do it through chat today so I can watch that while Steven's talking to us about payroll tax credits and, um, and we can all share in our knowledge and share with each other uh, and maybe, maybe learn a little something extra today. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. Steven from Gordon Thomas Honeywell, take it away. Thank you. Uh, and before I get into kind of the substance, uh, first, I want to thank Danielle once again for uh, letting me be a repeat uh, guest on this. Um, and also, I should provide just kind of the general disclaimer that you're going to hear from any lawyer with this sort of thing of, you know, this is not intended to be kind of legal advice. And if you have any questions that are more uh, fact specific, I'm happy to um, talk to you about those. Uh, but the purpose of this is kind of to provide just general um, outline of what the law, what these laws even say and, and, and how to take advantage of them, how to use them. Um, the, with the additional disclaimer, of I, I am actually not a tax expert, but I am, you know, I am an expert, so to speak, on, uh, on these particular tax credits. So I'm more than happy to answer any questions that people have about these. Uh, but again, not, not necessarily a tax expert in general. So, um, so yeah, we're, I want to talk about, um, I'm going to talk about uh, actually two different payroll tax credits, um, one that's provided under the CARES Act, and then one is kind of dipping back into some of the earlier presentations that have been done about the FFCRA, because both of those laws have tax credits. Um, and I'm not going to get again into the details of uh, what, when the FFCRA applies and how it's used and all that. Uh, and instead, I'm going to focus kind of specifically on uh, what the tax credit gets you and how to use it. And in large part, because both of these tax credits um, have a lot of similarities in how you, how you use them, how you'll request them from the IRS, um, et cetera. So um, I'm going to first talk about uh, some of the general basics of what's called the employee retention credit, which is provided under the CARES Act. Um, and then I'll talk about the FFCRA and then uh, kind of conclude by talking about uh, how how you uh, get those tax credits, both of them. 
Um, so starting off with the employee retention credit, um, I figure it makes sense to start about who, who can even take advantage of this? What, what businesses does this apply to? Um, and generally speaking, it's going to be most businesses. It won't apply to self-employed individuals um, for their own personal self-employment services or earnings. Um, and it's not going to apply to governmental employers, which I don't think is going to apply to a lot of the people who are uh, listening to this today. Um, but in general, again, it's going to apply to most employers. Uh, the main cat, um, it, it, it will apply differently based on the size of the employer. And we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Uh, but the main requirements um, are two, there's, there's kind of two ways for you to get to claim this credit. Um, the first is if your business is fully or partially suspended, the operations are fully or partially suspended because of a government order due to coronavirus. Um, and that I think is fairly self-explanatory um, with, I guess, the one caveat that it, you know, again, it applies to businesses that are partially suspended. So if you have, if you're an essential business, but, uh, and so you're still fully operating, but there's parts of your business that you have to, that are non-essential that you have to curtail, for example, um, then the, this would apply to you. But if you are just fully, you know, essential business, this, this probably won't apply at least under that criteria. Um, and then the other way that it can apply to you, so you kind of get to choose one or the other, um, or both, if they both apply, um, is if you have a, a decline in gross receipts from the previous year, from 2019. Um, and that one takes a little more to kind of unpack. Um, like the most basic way to explain it is that it'll start whenever your gross, the, a business's gross receipts are um, half of what they were in that quarter than they were from uh, 2019. So if your kind of gross receipts in Q2 this year are half of what they were in Q2 of last year, then you're gonna qualify. Um, and that kind of triggers like a period of time that this credit will apply to you. Uh, and so in theory, it'll go on until the end of this year, unless and until you have a quarter, you kind of regain uh, in, in, you kind of recover and have a quarter where you have 80% uh, or more of gross receipts than you did from the previous year. So in Q2, you have 50% gross receipts. And then in Q3, you have, you know, you're back at 100%. Um, then you will you won't you will qualify for the tax credit that quarter, but the following quarter you will you will not. That's that's kind of how it how it's structured. Um, so it, it when, once you get to eighty percent of gross receipts, then you don't qualify for it the following quarter. Um, the again it, it applies to the period of uh, uh, March thirteenth through December thirty first, uh, so not the full Q one. Uh, but you can receive some tax credit for uh, the Q1, although I think you have to claim that in Q2, I believe. Um, and you can still get the credit, in, you know, get paid for the credit in 2021, but you'll only be able to get, you, you. it won't apply to any quarters after December 31st. So you can apply for it in 2021 for Q4 of this year, but if your business is still, you know, at below 50% gross receipts in Q1 of next year, you wouldn't be able to claim it for next year. I hope, I hope that makes that, that made sense. And I'm, I'm more than happy to answer any questions um, to kind of parse that apart a little better. Um, but at, at, in the sake of kind of, uh, you know, move, moving forward, um, one, I think really important caveat to all of this is that um, it's not going to, this credit does not apply to employers 
who receive the SBA loan under the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Um, so you kind of have to choose one or the other. Uh, you either get the, the loan or you can claim this tax credit uh, for, you know, for retaining employees. Um, and so I think that's an important uh, thing to draw out, especially, you know, for businesses that are trying to decide what makes sense moving forward to do. Um, how much is the tax credit? How much can you actually get for it? Um, like the easiest, shortest version of that is up to $5,000 per employee total. Uh, for, so it's for all quarters. Um, more accurately, it's going to be 50% of the first $10,000 in wages, again, total of qualified wages paid to each employee. Um, so even though you have this kind of, it's the first, it's 50% of the first 10,000 wages, it is determined on a quarterly basis. Um, so I guess an example of that is if you were paying out $8,000 in qualified wages to an employee in, in Q2, then you're going to get 50% of that for that quarter. So that's $4,000 in credit for that quarter. And then it's a salaried employee. So they're making the same amount in Q3. They're getting 8,000 uh, in Q3. At that point, you would just get $1,000 more for, for Q3 because that with the 4,000 gets you to your $5,000 max for that employee. Um, so, and, and you may have noticed, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about what's qualified wages and uh, what it, what constitutes qualified wages. That's where you get into talking about the size of the employer. Um, so if you have uh, 100 or fewer employees, what's considered qualified wages is going to be basically anything that you pay to an employee while you are suspended, you know, partially or fully suspended, or while you're still experiencing a decline in gross wages. So anything you're paying to employees, if you're 100 or fewer, um, that's going to count as a qualified wage. And that includes uh, the employer costs of providing health care benefits to that employee um, during that applicable period. Um, if you're a business with over 100 employees, then it's only going to apply to wages paid to an employee who is providing no services while the business is suspended fully or partially or while you're, uh, you're experiencing a decline in gross receipts. So I kind of think that basically is, uh, you know, a, no, a number of employers are, at, the, at least right now, trying to float their payroll. They don't want to maybe put people on unemployment. They think that they can, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of businesses feel they can get back up and running fairly soon. And so they think feel like it's worth keeping those, those employees on payroll for the time being. Um, and if they have over 100 employees, well, I guess either way, um, you know, then in that situation, as long as, you know, they're, Part, you know, maybe they're a non-essential business and they're not currently uh, operating. In that case, they would be able to claim the tax credit for the first 10000 in wages paid to each employee in that situation. Um, and again, that's going to include employer costs for health care benefits. Um, and then as far as documentation, your, your businesses are going to need to have documentation uh, to show that they are entitled to the credit. And the IRS uh, has provided a little bit of guidance on that. Um, you need to have not much more than this, which is that you need to have documentation on um, how you figured out the amount of qualified wages, uh, including health plan expenses and all that. And then documentation showing that you as a business are eligible for the credit. Uh, so basically showing that you were partially, had a partial or full suspension in operations. Um, or you had a decline in gross receipts that um, qualifies. Um, so that's that's kind of the broad outline of the 
employee retention credit under the CARES Act. Um, I'm going to transition over to talking about the tax credit under the FFCRA, and then again talk about return to kind of talk about both of them um, and how you actually use that tax credit. Um, so for the FFCRA, I'm going to answer the same questions. Who does it apply to? Um, that one we should be a little more familiar with at this point is who qualifies for uh, who you know businesses with fewer than 500 employees as a starting point. And then if you're actually paying out sick leave to employees who are entitled to receive it. Um, well, I think one important caveat is if an employee is not qualified for FFCRA uh, leave, uh, but they're taking it anyway and you're paying it out, you're not going to get the tax credit for that. Um, and I've seen that actually come up a little bit with employers asking, um, you know, about kind of some of the more ambiguous, you know, what does it apply in this situation or this situation? And, you know, usually that response is going to be, you know, we'll talk about the specific situation, but the risk is at the end of the day, if we're wrong and it doesn't apply, uh, the risk is that you won't get the tax credit for that leave. Um, so that, that is something to consider as you're making those decisions. Of course, the opposite side of that is if you decide not to provide it and you're wrong and they were entitled to it, you know, you could potentially be subject to penalties from the DOL or even a private uh, right of action from the employee. So kind of those risks on both sides. Um, unlike the employee retention credit under the CARES Act, this does apply to self-employed individuals. It has, there's specific provisions that apply to self-employed individuals, uh, specifically in, in its own, uh, kind of particular way. Um, but it also, but like the CARES Act, it doesn't apply to most governmental employers. Um, and again, not like the CARES Act. The FFCRA tax credit is available to employers who are receiving an SBA loan under the CARES Act. So that, that's important. If you are getting that loan, you can still, you know, you can still qualify for a tax credit for employees who are on sick leave. The important caveat be there being, you know, part of receiving loan forgiveness under the PPP, under the Paycheck Protection Program, is that you have to pay at least 75% of, of the loan has to go towards payroll costs, and, uh, and stuff like that. And leave, wages that are paid out for leave under the FFCRA are not, do not count as payroll costs for the purposes of that loan forgiveness. So uh, that is something to consider if you have a large portion of your workforce that's using that uh, FFCRA leave, that actually may be an issue in how you're able to pay 75% of those loan proceeds towards uh, payroll costs. Um, how much is the credit? This one, again, is a little easier because it's just 100% of all the qualified wages that are paid out for employees who are on paid sick leave or, or paid family medical leave under the FFCRA. Um, and that includes uh, employer costs for, to provide the health, for the health plan for employees while they're on leave. Um, and interestingly enough, it includes the employer's share of Medicare taxes for those employees while they're on leave as well, which I think is usually is one point four or five percent of wages, something like that. Um, and so, again, that, that gets back to my point earlier about it's only going to apply to, it's, you know, 100% tax credit, refundable tax credit, but it only applies to qualified leave. So, again, if, you know, maybe a different example, if you have an employee who is getting two-thirds of their wages covered and you're supplementing that to get them to 100, you want to help them make that difference um, or you're letting them use their sick leave to do so, uh, which you can do. Um, 
you're not going to get a tax credit for that extra amount getting you um, up to their 100% of their uh, regular wages. Um, and then as far as documentation for, for this particular, uh, for the FFCRA, we've gotten a little guidance on that as well from both the IRS and from DOL. Um, in particular, you just need a written request from the employee with kind of basic information like their name, their dates of leave, the reason, and whatever support they have for the, the reason that they're taking that, that leave, um, and a statement from the employee that they're unable to work or telework. Um, if the employee's you know, under an isolation order or taking care of a family member who's under an isolation order, then you'll also want to get the name of the governmental entity or healthcare provider who is requiring or advising that. Um, and if this child's school or uh, place of care is closed, then you will also want to get the name of the child, um, the name of the, the place that's closed, the child care provider that's closed, and a statement that there's no other suitable person available to care for the child, because that is one of the requirements there. Um, which that kind of, that, that those pieces of information uh, raise kind of the additional issue of how important it'll be to make sure this, these materials are kept confidential, um, because you know, some of that can be fairly sensitive. Um, for documentation, either under the FFCRA or under the uh, Employee Retention Credit under the CARES Act, uh, you're required to hold on to that for up to four years. Uh, and that's going to include any IRS forms that you're uh, completing uh, as part of that. Um, and before I move on to kind of how you actually use these tax credits, I do want to draw one additional point, which is that you can receive tax credits, uh, both of these tax credits, um, as a business that you don't have, uh, you don't have to choose one or the other. So you can receive a tax credit, the employee retention tax credit and the FFCRA tax credit for any sick leave you pay out. Um, but the one condition there is that you can't be for the same wages. And that makes sense. Um, you know, you, you're either paying wages to the employee and getting a tax credit for that, or you're paying sick leave to the employee and getting a tax credit for that. And you can kind of even mix and match. So say I'm working for you, for two weeks and your operations are suspended. So you're qualifying for the tax credit. Um, and so you would get, you would be able to claim a tax credit for those two weeks. And then I go on leave. Um, you would still be able, you would be able to claim a tax credit for you know the two weeks of leave that I'm on, but that's going to be under the FFCRA. And then I come back and I'm still working for you and your operations are still uh, curtailed because you know things aren't back up and running or you're experiencing a reduction in gross receipts or whatever, then you would be able to continue to claim the CARES Act tax credit moving forward. So, because again, it's for the first $10,000 in wages that you're paying out to me um, that's, that's going to qualify you for that. So it doesn't have to be in any particular order. It just can't be at the same time. You can't double dip as far as those tax credits. Okay. I see, I see that one question it may make sense to cover it before. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Do you want me to read the question so we yeah, also please. capture that on the recording? Okay. How do you handle this situation where the employee's spouse was told by the healthcare provider to stay at home in quarantine because they're waiting for a COVID test? Does the employee put that healthcare provider on the form or is it taking care of a family member? What does that fall under? So that, that's an interesting one because um, as, as, as far as I'm reading it, it sounds like 
the employee's spouse is, uh, would probably, you know, for their employer, if they have one, would qualify for uh, sick leave because they are perhaps experiencing symptoms and seeking a diagnosis. Um, was told by the healthcare provider to stay home. Okay, so that, there is a quarantine order, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that employee is obviously gonna get, uh, be eligible for sick leave because they have been advised by their healthcare provider to, be, to, to remain home, to self-isolate. Um, and the employee will qualify, but they, um, they would have to, sh or not have to show, they would have to attest that the reason that they need to take leave is because they need to be able to be there to take care of their spouse while they're in this isolation um, or quarantine. Um, and so the, the guidance doesn't really say, you know, doesn't provide that there's any specific, um, any specific kind of document that they would have to show, but you would want to, you would want to have them provide the name of the healthcare provider uh, who has, who has request, who has advised that the spouse be, um, under quarantine or self-isolation because that is the basis under which the employee is then going to say based on that order I am taking care of a person who is under a self-isolation or quarantine um, order upon okay. advice of healthcare provider. All right I have a question do you have any guidance for employers who are trying to figure out if they should apply for or use the the payroll tax credits versus the SBA loan, because you've talked about how, you know, the one, they wouldn't be allowed to use both. They would have to choose one or the other. So why would an employer want to lean into the SBA loan where they wouldn't also be able to take payroll tax credits? Does that make sense? My yeah. Question? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is obviously going to depend. I love having this caveat. You know, it's going to depend on the circumstances of that business. Um, and so there's not going to be an answer that covers every scenario. I will say that I, I have heard that, um, you know, without, at the risk of being alarmist, I have heard that there is our funding issues uh, with the PPP, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, um, as far as businesses being able to even get the loan. Um, and I, I have to imagine that's going to continue to get worse and worse. I, I think that a lot of people were hoping that we would see uh, an, a fourth stimulus package come through that would provide additional funding for that. And my understanding, based on the news, as even as of this morning, was that it doesn't look like that's going to happen, um, that, that, that uh, the Congress is going to reconvene um, to do that. So um, you know, it, there could be a situation where an employer would qualify for and could even benefit from the small business loan, but they're just, you know, they can't get it. Their, their bank won't, uh, you know, doesn't have sufficient funding. Um, other banks, I've heard a lot of banks are um, only offering loans to businesses they've currently been doing business with or previously done business with. So the ability to even find a bank that will issue that loan uh, or a lender who can uh, issue that loan could be you know, prohibitive to some businesses. So that would be a reason to say, you know, it's maybe a, um, it's, it's maybe kind of a backup plan more than anything else. Um, and my other thought on that is, uh, you know, the loan is, as far as I understand it, you know, the, the, the terms are, as far as loans go, you know, fairly beneficial. They're not, not overly onerous. Um, you know, but it is a loan. It's, and it's a, you know, 
lot of money you know, for some from some businesses to be taking out and may not want to see that risk. Uh, in particular, with the loan uh, forgiveness aspects of it, requiring that you're going to essentially, you know, have a equal or greater uh, head count at, at the end of the eight weeks of the loan or over as an average over the eight weeks of the loan um, compared to um, kind of either earlier this year or, um, you know, parts of last year. And there could be concerns for a lot of businesses that, well, hey, I, I still am going to have some employees, but I really just don't see that being an option. And so the loan forgiveness isn't, you know, may, may, you know a lot of businesses may be looking at it right now and saying, I just don't think the, I'm going to qualify for the loan forgiveness at this point. Um, and so, again, the loan may still be a good thing, but this may be an option in, in the alternative of uh, continuing to operate business, not having to take out a loan, but getting some assistance from the government in doing so. Um, so those are, those are the kind of two thoughts I have off the top of my head. Um, but anything more specific that, than that, I think, would require a more um, you know, fact-specific uh, assessment of the situation. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Are there any other questions? But I, I, I can answer some questions again, um, you know, at once I've kind of talked about how to actually utilize the tax credit, but are there any other questions people have at this point? I don't I, see any others in chat right now. So okay. I say carry on. Okay, good. Um, so the, uh, as promised, we'll talk about kind of how to, how to get the, the credits. And this is, we're going to, again, apply to both credits that are out there. Um, bo again, both of them are essentially uh, credits against the employer portion of Social Security taxes, uh, FICA taxes. Um, and then again, for the FFCRA, that's going to include Medicare taxes. Um, in its most basic way, you know, you can claim it through your quarterly federal tax, reform, uh, tax return form. I think it's Form 941 for most businesses. Um, so, you know, first it's going to offset against any social security taxes you have. Um, and then it's a fully refundable tax credit, which according to the IRS means that um, it would next offset against any remaining payroll taxes that you have. Um, so it would just, you know, again, offset those. Um, and then if there's anything in excess of that, you would qualify for a refund from the, the IRS. Um, so at its most basic form, I think that that is uh, how it would apply. But there's a couple of kind of options um, based on circumstances uh, that are available for employers. So one of the things that I think is probably uh, most encouraging is uh, employers are allowed to, um, in anticipation of receiving the credit, uh, actually just um, withhold taxes that they would have paid as their, you know, on, at, with their payroll uh, that they're doing equal to the credit. So they can use, essentially use the tax credit to pay for you know, qualified wages, be it under the CARES Act or for sick or uh, FMLA leave under the FFCRA. Um, and so the IRS issued a notice that says that an employer will not be subject to a penalty for failing to deposit taxes in a calendar quarter under the following circumstances. One, um, the employer paid qualified wages to its employees in the calendar quarter prior to the time of the required deposit. Uh, which makes sense there essentially you can use what you would have paid in taxes for that for that pay period to pay those wages but you can't you know can't do it prospectively it has to be you know as you go along um, to the amount of taxes uh, that are not timely deposited are less than or equal to the amount 
of the employer's anticipated credits, which is kind of the same concept. It, you can't you can't withhold taxes more than what you're going to qualify for uh, the credit at that point. Um, and then there's an additional requirement that the employer not seek uh, payment of an advance credit, which I'll talk about in a second. But under those circumstances, if you are withholding wages or withholding taxes and using them to pay qualified wages, um, then you're, there's not going to be any penalty for not having paid those taxes, which essentially means that you can retain those taxes again and, and use them to pay your wages moving forward. Um, again, as long as that doesn't exceed the amount of the credit. Um, and so I think, I think that's good. I think that's, that will help a lot of employers, especially with the sick leave, um, you know, as you're, uh, you know, accruing and, and, and collecting, uh, what taxes you'd have to pay for those wages. You can actually use those to help pay, uh, pay employees, uh, so that you're not taking quite as much of a hit and floating that until you get your quarterly tax returns, which I think was a concern for a lot of employers at first with this. Um, and the main thing there is just you'll have to be able to account for any of that that you do in your quarterly returns. So at the end of the day, the amount that you are withholding does have to be equal to or um, uh, less than the actual credit that you're going to be entitled to receive uh, for that quarter. Um, and then the other thing that I think is kind of exciting is if you don't have enough uh, payroll taxes to pay wages, which I think is going to be the case for a lot of employers. Uh, so the, you know, the amount of uh, sick leave wages that you're paying out to employees exceeds whatever, you know, the social security and other uh, tax liability that you would owe. And so you are actually floating that. Um, the IRS has a form you can fill out to uh, seek uh, an advance payment on that. Um, so again, one of the requirements is you have to pay down um, reduce all your federal tax deposits for that quarter to, uh, you have to have paid those out uh, in wages. Uh, but if there's, again, anything in excess, you can file form 7200 or 7200, 7200, uh, which is entitled advanced payment of employer credits due to COVID-19. Um, and this again applies to FFCRA or the employer retention credit. Um, so an example of how that would play out is if you had uh, $10,000 in leave wages that you had to pay to employees um, and your taxes, your federal employment taxes also all told is uh, worth $8,000. Um, then, you know, first you could offset the $8,000 in tax liability that you have against that 10,000, right? So you can just not pay the $8,000 in taxes because, um, you know, you would have gotten a credit for that anyway. Um, but then even you know, after you've done that, you still have the $2,000 in leave wages that you'd have to pay out. You can file uh, this Form 7200 uh, with the IRS and seek an advance credit for that remaining $2,000. Um, I, I don't have a sense of how quickly that is supposed to arrive, but what I do know um, is that you can file for that multiple times in a quarter. Um, so you can essentially do it for each pay period or, or as soon as you anticipate that that you're going to have an excess of tax credit and that you would want to use that for those wages that you're paying out. Um, and again, as before, the main thing there is that you'll, you will at some point have to reconcile those advanced payments with uh, the qualified wages that you end up having ha uh, claiming as for tax credits on, on your uh, form 9941. So at some point you'll have to show the IRS that uh, the amount of advanced tax credit they provided you uh, is that you are entitled to receive all of that. Um, so the form, 
form 7200 that you mentioned is that and and i am not a payroll expert so this might be a stupid question is that form already in existence or is that a new form that the irs has created well both of both uh, it is a new form that the irs has created for this but it is available already and they have an ex, uh, you know an expl explanation document along with it um and okay. I, it's fairly straightforward actually so um, it shouldn't be difficult, I think, to integrate that into your payroll processes. Okay. Very good. The other question, too, that I have, and maybe it's jumping ahead a little bit, but you've mentioned documentation that uh, an employer would need. They've asked questions around leave and, you know, they're going to have to have a way to document and track that you you let someone use the leave for a valid purpose in mm -hmm. order to have the tax credit in the first place. So where is this documentation going to go? Has the process been defined? Has the Department of Labor or the IRS said you have to share with us this employee's attestation? Is that a word? Attestation. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds weird coming out. Um, but do you, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I do. Because right? I, I guess when I first, you know, when, when the FFCRA first came out and I was reading it, that was my question too, is who do we provide this uh, note, this documentation to? Yeah. Um, what, it, what it appears is that this, these are documents that, uh, or this documentation, I should say, is going to be kept by the employer as part of their records, their, as part of their kind of payroll records, and uh, the IRS can potentially um, ask for those records uh, to, again, establish, you know, if, if they're trying to establish that you were, were qualifying for that tax credit. Um, and, you know, you'll, you're going to want to read doc, um, Form 7200. To, I, but my understanding of it is that it's not asking that you send those, those, that documentation in. Um, it's just that you do need to have that documentation. So but even when so. they come to audit you yeah, or ask yeah. questions, yeah. Should we start a pool right now to, to, you know, like how many audits do we think the IRS might start to do after all of this is beyond and they're looking to, you know, maybe replenish some coffers that perhaps are a little more empty? Didn't I think we can start a pool, but maybe when we're not recording anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Off the record. All right. <laughs> all right we can do that. No, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's kind of an interesting thought. The same goes with kind of a DOL enforcement of this stuff. Is you know how how hard are they going to go after? So uh, kind of another example of that is um, you know I had always assumed that for the waiver for small businesses under the FFCRA, you know you can potentially get a waiver of the requirements for businesses with uh, fifty or fewer employees. I had always assumed that there would be a kind of an application process or something that you would, something you would communicate with DOL and they would give the okay. Um, and in their more recent guidance, they've, they've clarified, no, that's, that's a decision that the uh, head of the company basically is going to make. Um, but then a potentially the DOL, you know, can may ask, you know, you'll need to have documentation for that because there could potentially be a day where DOL comes and says, you know, did you meet these requirements that we've provided? Um, which is why I've, you know, I would encourage anybody who is interested in making that to consult an attorney to make sure that it applies in any given situation. Um, but again, it, it is just ultimately a decision that the, the, comp the business is going to have to make. And then, um, 
you know, there is obviously always going to be some risk that, you know, well, if you get that wrong, there could potentially be consequences there. So you want to be uh, very thoughtful about how you make that decision. But, but yeah, it, it's kind of a similar concept. I think there's a lot of this stuff that I had assumed would involve, uh, you know, going to an administrative agency and getting some sort of approval or whatever. And I think in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense that a lot of this, they're kind of putting on the employer and saying, you know, cause they just don't have the resources, frankly, uh, to do that sort of thing to um, so they're kind of putting on the employer um, and you have to make sure you're being smart about it uh, as, and making the right decision. Okay. I don't see any other questions yet coming from chat. So what's next? Um, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I think, <laughs> We know, I mean, the, the nice thing is we do seem to have kind of reached um, a, a little bit of like kind of homeostasis with this that, um, you know, there was a while there where just, it was, you know, new guidance about the existing laws was kind of relentless. Um, and again, you know, we we're looking to see if Congress was going to potentially do anything else and that doesn't look like it's the case. Um, I am not as, I haven't been keeping up pro probably as closely as I could have with uh, kind of the SBA loan developments. I know the sec Treasury Secretary has put out some uh, guidance on that that a lot of businesses find quite helpful. Um, and at the SBA, I think, also has put out some guidance. Um, and so definitely, I think there's going to be more development there. Um, but I actually think that a lot of this stuff, you know, the, the, we have emergency, we have uh, temporary rules put out by the DOL for the FFCRA. I don't think there's going to be a ton more guidance coming out there. Um, the CARES Act, again, the, the big kind of thing there is, is that SBA part of it, the PPP part of it. Uh, but other than that, I, I see things kind of settling and employers um, kind of just figuring out how to use these tools. But I don't see a ton more action moving forward of like kind of the, you know, breakneck speed that it had been over the last uh, month or so of just constant development. I, th I do think that that will kind of slow down a little bit. I hope bit. you've been informed by today's episode of The Checkup with Stephen Fawcett. You can find other episodes in this Monday Meetup series on the Propelled Checkup YouTube channel or on iTunes.